Well, we are uh, enjoying a great season here uh, in our church, and uh, that seems to be the constant story. I don't know that I remember any seasons that weren't great. There's, God, there's always something going on. God's always something, up to something that is uh, making a difference and uh, having an impact. This past Thursday night, we gathered in the chapel. Uh, no, we were in the uh, atrium. Where were we? We were in the venue. Uh, <laughs> Where am I right now? <laughs> I got those Apple tags and I put them on everything. My phone, my wallet, my briefcase, keys. Kim said, let's get one made into an earring so you will know where you are. <laughs> and I might do that. All right, so it was in the venue a couple of nights ago. Uh, we celebrated 15 years of Celebrate Recovery at Crossings Church. So we have 335 uh, average attendants weekly that gather in the chapel. We have 70 current active CR leaders. And then we have five step study meetings, uh, meeting times per week. And just some great things happening in worship there. We had, this was a wonderful night of worship and uh, just celebrating what God has done. And uh, I was just thankful for that room filled with people who have discovered that this is a church that, that can handle our pain. This is a church where we embrace everybody. This is not a church, this is not a good church to be in if you, if you wanna hide and play pretend. You can get away with that in this church for a long time, I suppose, but why? Why not step out of your comfort zone and step into something that God might use to bring healing to you in whatever way you may need it? And that's one thing I dearly love about this church. And it's what we've prayed for. It's becoming everything and more and then some than we would ever have imagined. Today I'm gonna to talk a little bit about what's going on here. And I've talked about the Voice of Hope initiative back in September and it's been suggested that because the average person goes to church one and three quarters time a month. I'm not sure the three quarters, how they get that, but somewhere between one and three times a month we go to church. And uh, so many of you may have missed the, uh, uh, the, uh, what we're up to in the Voice of Hope Initiative, the, the pieces of the puzzle that, that uh, we're believing God is leading us into. So I'm, I'm gonna do this, uh, the slides again. I wanna help, help you see kind of what we're up to. I've had people ask me, now tell me again, what's, what is the Voice of Hope Initiative? So I thought, let me re-communicate this and just to bring you up to date on where we are. Uh, and I, I believe this is a verse describing us, frankly, for many, many years, not just now. But this is when Paul said to the church in Corinth, there's a wide door for a great work here, and many people are responding. And, and we could say that about this church, and that is true. It's a wide door for great work, and many people are responding. And we're thankful for that. Very, very thankful for that. Larry Crabb has been uh, an author for many, many, many years and wrote a book uh, decades ago called, uh, it was, it's a very good book called The Safest Place on Earth. And he was, of course, referring to the church. Safest place on earth. He says this, it's time to build the church, a community of people who take refuge in God and encourage each other to never flee to another source of help, 
a community of folks who know the only way to live in this world is to focus on spiritual life, our life with God and others. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. People ask me all the time, why do you think God is doing for crossings what he seems to be doing? Uh, particularly, I think the Mayfair miracle, you know, was one of those things uh, we didn't ask for, didn't know anything about it, and God had a plan, and, and, uh, and you now know what happened. Uh, these uh, uh, fabulous people gave us their church, and now we're going to work together in some wonderful ways in the Mayfair, Belle Isle area, and we're glad to be back there. But I, one thing I appreciate about crossings through the years is we, we have, you know, if we were a, a restaurant, uh, uh, there, there's menu, you know, the menu will tell you a little bit about the restaurant, a little bit about what's going on there. So uh, when we were in Colorado, we went to a restaurant um, one night and they handed us a menu and it was just one sheet. I mean, it was, it was just a half sheet, you know, it was like this. And, and there was just, you know, just a little bit th and that's all they had. And they were really proud of all they had, uh, except I didn't even know what some of them were. You know, I, I can't, I can't order what, what I don't know uh, that is. And thankfully, I could ask Kim, and she could say, oh, come on. And then she'd tell me what it was, and it was basically a new name for chicken or fish. So, um, <laughs> but it was a very limited menu. But then, if we were a restaurant, I think our menu would be more like Cheesecake Factory. You've got 45 pages of menu. You've got 259 choices on chicken any way you can think of it, and salads and pizzas and this and that and this. So I feel like if we were a restaurant, we'd be the Cheesecake Factory. And I'm not apologizing for that. This church is able to do many, many, many things. And I'll never forget the feeling I had when someone came to my office for the first time back at Belle Isle days. We were probably 160 people strong on every weekend. And someone came into me, they had a serious drinking problem and they didn't know how to get help or where to start. And I didn't know what to tell him. I did what I could do and I prayed for him. And that's powerful. I believe prayer works. But when he walked out the door, I went back to my study and I thought, God, you gotta help me with this because this is all over the community. There are people, so, so many people struggling with substance abuse, struggling with addictions, struggling with shame, struggling with the human condition. And God, we, have to, we cannot sit here and pretend we don't either understand it or that we are not, un, that, don't let us be unwilling to just call it what it is and face it and walk alongside each other when those moments come in our lives. And my goodness, God answered that prayer over and over and over. Part of that answer came not that much longer after that appointment, when a young, after this young man came to see me. And um, I, I was making a comment, I've told you the story before, I won't go through all the details, but I was standing in the foyer uh, after church and someone had asked me a question and my response to them was not true. I, did, I just wanted to, I didn't, you know, they said, how are your folks? I said, oh, they're fine. Well, they were divorcing. And, uh, and the guy caught me on that, my friend, and he said, look, you, you know, you can't, if what you say you want is true, then you can't be out in the foyer telling people everything's okay when your family's falling apart. He said, I'll pick you up tomorrow. Oh, okay, we'll go to lunch. No, 
He took me, you know, they took me to a 12-step meeting. I thought, what in the, what are we doing here? I, what am I doing here? I, I've never had a drink in my life. You know, it's like, what am I doing here? Oh, you're crazy though, and you're going to find out. <laughs> Such a cherished friend. And, you know, I sat there watching people get honest, men Men whose names would be well-known in the community, men who had sat at the top of the financial world in this town, or all the way to those uh, in, in between, and those who, who really, truly rolled in out of the parking lot. And I sat there and I thought, this has to be done in church. I mean, doesn't the Bible say, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed? And why don't we do that? Does it say bear with the failings of the weak? Well, why don't we do that? Well, God answered the prayer, and that's thus the Cheesecake Factory uh, menu now of things that go on here. The, one of the, the blessings that I still cherish coming out of the, uh, that first AA meeting was um, the Serenity Prayer. I actually wrote a little tiny book. It's a booklet. People call it the book. It's a booklet, and uh, it's little. It's, you can read it in about 15 minutes, and that's my kind of book. So... Here's what God, so most of you know the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And it goes on, it's, it's lengthy, but it's a wonderful prayer. Uh, and I always, uh, someone gave me not long ago some other versions of the serenity prayer that I thought I would share with you. Here's one, uh, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept stupid people the way they are the courage to maintain my self-control and the wisdom to know if I act on it, I will go to jail. <laughs> Here's another one. Some of you really like these, I can tell. You're gonna, uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the kind of money where it doesn't really matter. <laughs> one more. Oh, golly. God, grant me the serenity to forget those people I never liked anyway. <laughs> the good fortune to run into those I do like and the eyesight to tell the difference. <laughs> okay, enough, enough for making fun of the serenity prayer. But I found that prayer and I found so much in this recovery community. And so I'm so excited when Teresa Payton championed the way. And she led the way and still does. And so we celebrated 15 years. So September 10th, we launched the Voice of Hope initiative. And um, I want to take you through again, just to remind you, here's where we are. And here's what we're trying to accomplish. And so far, we're at $17.7 million. And that's good. But remember, the, that's 44% of what we are hoping and praying could be possible. And it's going to take a level of giving and sacrifice that we have not probably ever had to demonstrate. And I just want to be honest about that. So let me remind you what we believe God has in mind for us. I still believe in biblical generosity. I believe it is true. Kim and I are a product of homes where we were taught what that looked like. 
We practiced it as a young couple and have done so continually and, and will do so until we're gone. And hopefully whatever's left after we're gone can still help and bless the church as well and, and bless our family. So we practiced, I've seen the power of it. Uh, I, I could probably stop doing many things, but that's one thing I would never stop because it's when Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, now you've got to decide if you believe this or not. I happen to believe it, Jesus said it, I've practiced it and I've experienced it. So I just wanna give you what I, what I myself have uh, received and what Kim and I have, have uh, the blessings that have come because of this. Here's what Jesus said. Given you will receive. This is New Living Translation of Luke 6, 38. Given you will receive, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, making room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now some, some tribes take that way too far and, and try to tell you that if you do certain giving to a certain thing or a certain amount, then, then you know, there's certain things that might happen. All I'm just saying is Jesus doesn't seem to have any limits on this where we apply that. It's just let us give. So for believers, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, we tithe to the church, we give, and we don't stop there. That's just a suggestion primarily from the Old Testament. Jesus told the Pharisees they should tithe, but they were also neglecting uh, being kind and, and merciful to other people. And then he says this, you give and you receive. The amount you give will be poured, you, you will get, you, <laughs> I should have stayed home this morning. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together. Make room for more running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And I've spent a lot of years apologizing for bringing it up. And that, in my book, these days, I could call my lousy pastor season. Because why wouldn't I want you to experience what I have? So this is a moment our church, I believe, is going to learn what it looks like to truly step up and just give. Give first to our church. Buildings don't help us if nobody's in them, if we don't have the ministries, and then to this Voice of Hope initiative. So here's what we believe God has called us to do. We're gonna live by faith. We're gonna be a voice of hope. We're gonna be known by love. And if, when, when it seems to be that, that we don't necessarily do this anymore or believe this anymore, first of all, I won't be here, but we'll change that. But we can't say this if we're not going to practice it. So we're telling the community and beyond, we're people who are gonna live by faith. We're gonna take steps that wise people might say that's not very smart. We're going to give in ways that others might say, you know, that may be a little heavy. You know, you, you might trigger an audit with the IRS, whatever. Well, good, bring it on, IRS. Uh, I love talking about my giving to you. So we will live by faith, we'll be a voice of hope, we'll be known by love. And without faith, that's why we're gonna live by faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So where are we having faith in our lives? Where are we practicing faith on a daily basis? Where are we taking steps of faith? in our lives, in our spiritual lives. Anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This isn't health and wealth gospel, folks. Some people preach that, not us. Because it, it just, Jesus, it's just clear he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We're going to be people who will be a voice of hope and therefore we who have fled to him for refuge, we've run to Jesus for refuge, can have great confidence 
as we hold to the hope that lies before us, this hope is a strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's what we believe about hope. And then we'll be known by our love. Jesus said in John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus said that. I believe that. And I believe he said that so we would practice that. And I think that's what God has called us to do. So, East Edmond. We need this like a year ago. We built the current Edmond location uh, up at Covell uh, at Mitch Park. It's right across the street from Mitch Park. Seven miles to the east is this piece of property on Covell and Air Depot. The folks out in Edmond, those of you gathered in Edmond there today, uh, you have had Sundays recently where there were, there were no parking spots left and there were no seats left when you walked in the building. So we're on it and we know we need to get with it and uh, we're, we're gonna do our best to uh, get this happening. But we have a long way to go uh, to get to the funds that will allow us to do that. So we're, we're going to uh, build the East Edmond property and uh, build the building there. And God's got a lot of things in mind for us, I believe, that we haven't even thought of yet. And we're excited about that. Secondly, Crossings Mayfair, you already know about that. Uh, again, I'm calling it the Mayfair miracle, just personally, uh, because I got to sit in the middle of that and hear the words for the first time coming out of another uh, wise man, an elder in their church, coming out of his mouth when he said, we'd like to give you our building. Never forget that one. So that's six, seven blocks from where we started at 55th and Lynn, Northwest Expressway and Lynn. And uh, I always felt like somebody like crossings needed to go back to that area. I never really believed it would be us getting to go back and uh, take up where we left off in that neighborhood. And I'm so thankful for the Mayfair folks who have been willing to do this step, take this step of faith to reach that community in ways that we cannot imagine. And God is up to something pretty special, really special. This was evidence for me. When God dropped this in our lap, I said, you know, my first thought was, this can't be real. My second thought was, God, we're not ready for this. We, we, didn't, we didn't prepare for this. And, and so, you know, God kind of quickly showed me, yes, you have been being prepared for this, so show a little faith and, and step up and get with it. So I heard his voice clearly there, and I, I decided I accept it. I receive this. It's a wonderful gift. And whatever you have in mind is what we're going to do. And that's exactly what we're doing. East, uh, West Edmond, up across from Mitch Park again, is uh, in need of classrooms, and uh, we have added on to it uh, at least once, maybe twice, and now we're going to, add, there's only one more place to add anything, and before the city, uh, they won't allow us to build out over the sidewalk or come into the street, and uh, such people of little faith, but um, so... <laughs> So we're adding four large classrooms where there can be that old-fashioned thing called Sunday school classes that we have in all of our locations. And we'll stay committed to that wonderful ministry. Jess Dunn is a chapel where a lot of our, uh, one of our larger attendances uh, attend our service there on Sundays. Uh, and they need room in the chapel. They need some upgrades. Uh, we built a new chapel for Joseph Harp because they didn't have one at all. 
So this time we're getting to fix up, upgrade, and give them a little more room because there's, again, more men trying to get into the service than there are seats uh, allowed in the chapel. So we're going to do that. Midtown Clinic, another clinic that came to Mark Youngblood, to our leader, our pastor on our team, and asked if uh, we would be willing to uh, lead this clinic to take it, and we gladly did. So it's Crossings Midtown Clinic, and, and both clinics, the one uh, there downtown and this one out on North Penn, uh, just south of Hefner, need some much-needed upgrades as the ministries and the needs of communities are changing and we want to be, uh, we want to stay in tune with that and be prepared and be ready for what uh, might come our way. So that's the project. That's what we're doing. They're all needed. They're all needed now. Someone said, Are, what can we place on hold? Well, I guess we'll put on hold what we have to. But the problem is it's needed now. And so I really need the church to step, step up into this, if you can. So far, we've been able to raise 17700000 That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's phenomenal. That's 44% of what we need to accomplish and do everything I just mentioned. We want those commitments, if we possible, by November the 12th, another uh, two weeks. And, uh, and again, tithe first. And any amount that you have available to give beyond the tithe, and some have more resources than others, it's going to take a level of commitment that we've never seen before. When I was thinking through this again, I was taken back to a text that I've been through several times, and I've brought it to you several times, but it's just a text that is... Um, I don't, you know, you, some books in the Old Testament, if you don't get acquainted with the history behind it, you, you won't understand sometimes what the, the whole point of the book may be or a certain text. With Nehemiah, it's, it's a good read and you find yourself in it. And I find myself in this text, in this great book of Nehemiah, particularly the first six chapters. And it's, it's a read, I felt like I was kind of reading possibly my own story or the story of crossings. And I won't read all, we don't have time to read all uh, seven cha six chapters, but I'll, I'll give you just the short version of the story. Nehemiah, God has nudged him, God has called him to return to Jerusalem and build the walls of the city and the gates because they've been destroyed. The children of Israel are now being allowed to leave Babylon after 70 years and come more toward home. And yet when they see what's happened to their city, this magnificent city that once had fortified walls all the way around, as every city did in those days that could make that happen, and the gates that existed around those walls, the protection they provided, they were gone, it was in rubble. So Nehemiah feels led that he's supposed to do this. God has told him, you need to go lead the way to get that wall and get the city of Jerusalem started on its way to being a great city again. Nehemiah had heard from, from a brother. He said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, 
fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. For your people, Israel. So what we have here is several things. We have a bold request. He goes to the king. He's the king's cupbearer. The cupbearer was the most important person to the king of anybody else because the cupbearer would have to taste the wine first to make sure it wasn't poison, which means if it was, the cupbearer would die. But he would spare the king's life by providing that service to the king. So you can imagine they, they had probably a closer relationship than they might have had with any other person that worked uh, with, uh, with the king. So he makes this bold request, and then the king responds with great generosity. You get to chapter two and uh, about verse seven, you'll see that the king is writing letters that Nehemiah can carry with him. So as he passes through other cities and towns and even countries that he'll have a letter from a king saying, please allow passage here. Please allow this man and his, his uh, entourage to pass through these parts. Not only did the king do that, it says uh, the king, he said, I should add, send along army officers and horsemen to protect me. The king was very generous. The king did things no one else could do in that time. Nehemiah had no chance of knowing where to even find those kinds of resources, that kind of help politically and financially. But God had a plan. So there's a bold request. There's a king's generosity. And then they count the cost. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 is when Nehemiah starts counting the cost. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. It says he slipped out at night and walked around the, the city, the, the broken down walls and the gates. And it tells everywhere he went. It said the city officials did not know I'd even been out there, what I was doing. But he went out and he counted the cost. He took a look at what needed to be done. Probably if he had a chance to express it, it would have been written down, but I'm sure what he found was far worse than what he thought. It's one thing to hear about your beloved city being in ruins. It's another thing to see it. It's one thing to, back when we had that horrible event in downtown Oklahoma City, when the bombing of the federal building took place, and you could see it on TV, and that's my first glimpse was, we, you know, our church was six miles from that location, and we felt the building shake. So we saw it on TV, and it was horrible watching on TV. But then when Kim and I had a chance to go down there, it's hard to imagine. I thought of that when I was reading this text. Nehemiah had heard that things were not good, but he wasn't prepared for just how bad it was. But he counted the cost. And this is probably, the, this number four, probably one of the main reasons I was even drawn to it. And I'll tell you why. It says, families and tribes work together. Now, what's amazing here is if you go to chapter four, you'll start seeing some things happening where families, it says families and tribes have worked together. And, and you'll see different tribes and families have been positioned at different sections of the wall. Everybody's got a section. And they're gonna work on that section. Some will be working on the gates, some are gonna be working on the wall, but they've got families stationed all the way around and they're doing this with families and then other groups of people 
And it made me remember the time our church in Ohio was expanding. The church had grown significantly with my dad's leadership. Dad was a wonderful pastor. He was a wonderful pastor. And he loved Jesus and he loved people and he loved the church. So we went out to the location of another move, another new building that would be built and the whole church was going to be moving to a whole new community there in Dayton, Ohio. And I remember that as a high school student, my brother and I were able to go walk through the building when it was just a foundation and some concrete columns. And then I remember that when we were building the building I'm standing in here in Oklahoma City, crossings on Portland. And I remember when our family came in here with a lot of families around the church and underneath this carpet and tile from one end to the other are Bible verses that were written by families of what they were depending on God to do and trusting God for a work that he seems to have had in mind that we could not fathom. I just thought about what it means to a family. This is a moment I would encourage families, particularly if you've got small kids or teenage kids still in the house. What about saying to them, let's pray before we have our meal or let's, let's pray real quick for our church. Occasionally I'll bring the grandsons in here and they like to come over here sometimes when I have to stop by on Saturday night and they're with me, I'll, I'll say, let's go to the church. And then they want, they know I've got this key uh, in my pocket that, um, in fact, I have it on me right now. It's, it's a key to every door in the place, right here. That makes me feel so powerful. I'm always afraid I'm going to get stuck in a stairwell somewhere, you know, nobody will know where I'm at. But they love, hey, hey, pops, can we go here? Can we go there? Oh, yeah, we've gone everywhere. We've gone places that I'm not allowed to go. I'm like maybe up in the ceiling of this room. And all I know is our grandkids, there's five of them so far. They'll remember climbing around the church. And they'll remember what it was like when they got here on Sundays or Wednesdays. Like my brother and I, they'll probably remember how loved they were and how kind people were. And hopefully, they'll look back and say, that's why today I'm a follower of Christ as an adult. That's our prayer. In spite of all this good stuff, there was opposition. There were plenty opposing him, plenty of people that did not want this to happen. And of course, there were threats. At one point in this story, if you read it through, they're actually holding one, a weapon in one hand and working with the other one just to be safe. That's a lot of sacrifice to build a wall and put the gates around the city that would once again be safe. Verse uh, Nehemiah 6, at verse 16, uh, 15 and 16 so on October the 2nd, 445 BC, the wall was finally finished just 52 days after we had begun. Now this thing's 10 feet wide. I don't know, 10 or more, 15 feet tall. They did this in 52 days. 52 days. When our enemies and, and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. And here's the verse. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And let me tell you what, by the time we get to wherever you're going to take us, wherever God's going to send us, 
in this Voice of Hope initiative will be able to say this too. We will realize that whatever has gone on here, whatever you've done, whatever we've collectively together been able to raise in terms of funds to do these things, we're going to realize that it's a work that has been done with the help of our God, as was, frankly, everything else we've done in this place called Crossings. And I'm praying that you would realize the opportunity we have, that we can demonstrate faith and faith that the needs of people will be met and faith to find any way possible for us to be generous, give our resources to what I believe is a very historic moment for our church. We've been given a great example of sacrificial giving. I was handed these cards earlier in the week and uh, this represents cards, I'm, I'm trying to remember how many we've got here, but several dozen. These are commitment cards we've received from inmates. Inmates. $2 per month. They don't have much to work with. $3. Forty-five cents, one dollar. This is this is their monthly. That blew me away. And I thought, well, that's why we're doing this, among other reasons. I think it's good for us to get a glimpse occasionally of the people who are longing to find the hope that brings life meaning. And when you find it, and when you taste it for the first time, you'll do anything, anything, for the work that God has for us. So I want you to pray about that. I want you to consider this. And as soon as we have clarity on where our limit will be, then we'll get started whatever we're allowed to do, whatever God provides for. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then after I do, I'm going to invite the prayer teams to the front of all of our rooms. Uh, you can go toward the front of the room while people are leaving the room, and there'll be prayer teams there to pray for you for anything that's on your mind. Many, many people in our rooms carry heavy burdens, so please allow us the privilege of praying for you before you return back to your day, the rest of your day, we would consider that a privilege and an honor to pray with you. So the prayer teams will be uh, at the front of every room uh, ready to uh, talk with you about whatever's on your mind and pray with you about any need you may have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of this day. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you, Father, for the challenges you bring to us. We thank you for the, the mountains you call us to climb. And we can look back and we see the hand of God so clearly at work. Father, give us courage and give us wisdom. And by all means, Father, we pray, increase our faith. And we leave it in your hands. Speak to us and we will listen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.